Well, good evening. We're here again in Bonaire, First Baptist. Uh, for way of introductions, Eric Pacheco here as the moderator, Kenny Rogers, senior pastor, uh, with me on the panel, and uh, Patrick McWilliams recently uh, joined our congregation in membership. And uh, today's sermon was titled Tradition Versus True Faith. It was on Matthew 15, um, the first 31 verses. So just by way of reminder, in chapter 13, Jesus started preaching in parables. In chapter 14, John the Baptist died right at the beginning, and then Jesus fed the 5,000 shortly thereafter. He walked on water, and uh, Peter tried it as well with uh, less thrilling results. And then uh, it ends with, the region of Gennesaret and some healing of, mem- of, of men, it says, as they uh, walked up to Jesus and, and touched the fringe of his cloak. This, this chapter starts um, with, with Pharisees coming towards Jesus, and really the way that you framed it, I guess, was in, in three pericopes, and each of them, so individual, uh, three individual stories that kind of stand alone. And um, the first one with the Pharisees there, essentially, they're coming to Jesus, talking about what cleanliness should be in their eyes. And then, and then in the other two, it's more of Gentiles approaching Jesus in, in situations. So we'll work through these verses as they appear in the scripture. But anything else you want to give a, a, by way of introduction to the sermon today? Well, this section actually begins at chapter 13, verse 53. Uh, and it, it consists of 16 pericopes. It mm. goes uh, through the end of chapter 17. So far, we've covered two or three pericopes at the time, and that pretty much sets it up. Okay. Well, so we start with the Pharisees, and uh, they're, they're really accusatory there towards uh, Jesus' disciples, and they're talking about uh, how to become clean through, through hand-washing, essentially, right? And um, really, the, the response is, is one of, of they are honoring uh, with their lips, but their hearts being far away, I think is, is the way that uh, Jesus sums it up. So I guess, uh, do you, can you guys think of any, any contemporary illustrations, or how would we look at this, make sure that we're not in our own lives honoring with our lips while our hearts are far away? Well, to, the first thing would be is not to honor man-made traditions more than you honor the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does the scripture say? And so many people today, and this is not just true in 2021, it's been true for, I guess, all my life. Sure. Where people know what uh, they believe as far as the cliches, the slogans, the sayings, but they don't really know what the scripture says. And they, mm. they have the rules and the regulations they follow, and they follow them because they think that's going to make them sure. acceptable. And it's not, because true, true faith will always embrace grace and mercy and not works. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think people just really depend on works. And I, I was watching a, um, a sitcom and I won't mention the name, but the, 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 the main, main player was not going to church. It's a Catholic church, but he was not going to church. He was not attending Mass. And so uh, his wife asked him, she said, well, why don't you go to church? And he says, well, uh, because I just feel like I'm getting into rote and ritual, and I'm not really thinking about God and all this kind of stuff. And besides that, I'm a good guy. Mm. I do good things. I tip good. Uh, I don't make sure. fun of people who have who are not normal like I am, 
And uh, so when he got through, she said to him, she said, well, you know, you're such a good person. Maybe we should just uh, invite everybody to come here on Sundays and gather around you. And so I think, I think that's the Pharisees. Sure. It, it, at the end of the day, when you, when you boil it down, that's really what they're about, that, that people would more or less look up to them instead of God. Yeah, absolutely. Convicting, even though trying to be comedic, that uh, exactly. everybody's made to worship, whether it's, it's God or themselves. Exactly. But, uh, you find yourself in worship. Mm-hmm. Patrick, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, the example that's right there uh, that, um, that Jesus brings up uh, as an example of honoring him with lips, but then not actually following through on the command and, and, and loving him in the heart uh, is, is somebody who claims to honor Jesus and his commands about honoring his father and mother, but then ignores that commandment and then, but does something else to make themselves look good by giving mm. money to uh you know, oh, but I, I gave it to the church or to sure. the, you know, to the temple or whatever. I set it aside uh, for God. Yeah, and you know, and I, I, when I was thinking of examples, when I was thinking about it this afternoon, um, you know, we're we we've just come through uh, a, a crazy year, a crazy you know election season, and you see this every single election season, no matter what politician it is, on what side of the aisle it is, because they know that Christians are a big voter block, mm. and they will always talk about how. You know, oh, I'm a Christian. Uh, let yeah. me tell you about my faith and that kind of thing. And but then when they're when they're courting the other side, you know, and and maybe policies that they that they enact is anything but what's actually mm. taught in Scripture. And I think that was a good example of, you know, oh yeah, I I love Jesus. And like, well, who's Jesus? And they they give mm-hmm. you somebody who's completely not Jesus. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. That's a good point. Yeah, very much resonates with the the way the crowds are almost trying to bring. Jesus to a leadership role because it's to their benefit, but not necessarily because of their faith in, right. in him mm-hmm. as a deity. Yep. It's great. So one of the things that you talked about as you, as you preached on this section was just kind of the balance between uh, tradition versus scripture and such and the, the, the authority of one or the other. How do we balance church tradition with, with the authority of scripture? And I'll, I'll reference F.F. F. Bruce that, in, in his book, The Canon of Scripture, he talks about certain criteria for the canonicity of Scripture. And one of them is traditional use. So, and he references that as, as what has always been believed or practiced is most potent factor in the maintenance of tradition. Now, understanding that this is only one of the factors in canonicity, and so as you look at all of them, he, he, he lists these. So he, he lists apostolic authority, antiquity, orthodoxy, Catholic, uh, Catholicity, so, and when they say Catholic, they mean the universal the church, church, not the Roman Catholic Church. Right. Uh, traditional use and inspiration. So, traditional use, and he, in, in this instance, he's talking about Scripture itself, but tradition obviously has a place in Christianity. How do we weigh it against the authority of, of Scripture? Obviously, the Pharisees have done a poor job of it in this instance. Well, they've done a poor job of it as far as being consistent with the Old Testament, which sure. was the accept, accepted scripture of their day. The canon of their day was the Old Testament, and it had pretty much been settled uh, by Jesus' day to mm-hmm. be the, the same Old Testament that we have now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's interesting that you bring it up, the, how, the, how the Bible came to be accepted as the authority. And, and you mentioned, okay, apostolic authority and sure. and tradition through the years and then of course Athanasius 
uh, gives the list, at the, I think it's 362, do you remember, Patrick? I think it's at the 362 Easter uh, service that he does, and he, he goes through the list, and that really becomes the, the accepted list of canon. But in our day, we're not thinking about canonicity anymore. We, 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 we accept that this is the canon. We accept this is the Bible. Sure. Okay, because of what the church has mm-hmm. taught and, and, and through the years. And, and we know that there are good reasons why this is the Bible. There are mm-hmm. good reasons why the Gospel of Thomas is not in the New Testament. I think it's important that people understand that if they, if they get into what should be in the Bible and what should not be in the Bible. And that's a big question today. Why weren't the, you know, the, the lost Gospels in the Bible and all of that? So that, that's, a, that's a question. But really, I, I think more relevant to our point is, okay, we have the Bible and we have church traditions. Mm-hmm. And in, 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 for most of the people who are watching, I mean, there might be some Catholics watching or, or others, but for most who are watching, they would be Protestants. Sure. And Protestants have splintered into denominations. Mm-hmm. And is that good or bad? Well, I think it's both. Mm-hmm. But as far as our traditions, I, I think our traditions have to be settled in the Scripture. And for a long time, and, and Patrick knows this as well as anyone, for a long time these traditions were, were, were clarified and, and specified in confessions. Mm-hmm. And churches used to have a constitution on the walls, mm. uh, and, and we still have a constitution. We, we have a constitution that we go by as a church, mm-hmm. that our beliefs, and these beliefs have to be more than just tradition. Mm-hmm. They have to be a living tradition, like the confessions have to be living documents. Mm-hmm. And the only way they can be that is because they are, they are founded upon a good understanding of Scripture. Sure. So they fail in orthodoxy in this case, is, among other things. Exactly right. So, mm-hmm. so what has the church said for, for 2,000 years, and how do we understand it? Uh, again, I don't think you can understate proper understanding and interpretation of Scripture. Mm-hmm. That's the work that has to be done. Sure, yeah. I, have, I had a previous pastor who would often cite, when you want to know if something is true or not, you study the truth. Right. So that you can spot a fake, just like counterfeit currency. You don't study fake currency, you study real currency. Exactly. That's exactly right. Patrick? Yeah, I, um, I used to be uh, one of a bunch of admins for one of the largest uh, confessional Baptist Facebook groups uh, on, on Facebook. Um, and, we, you know, we had rules in the group where you couldn't promote teaching that was against the confession. That was because it was our understanding of Scripture, and we didn't, this wasn't the place for that kind of debate. Mm. And a lot of times people didn't like that rule after a while, and uh, so more than once I myself was accused of holding a confession above Scripture. Um, but, I mean... So the 1689 London Baptist Confession says that the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in the Holy Scripture unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelation of the Spirit or traditions of men. Um, So the higher you hold the confession, the higher your view of Scripture is. Sure. 
and that's what makes that confession uh, a good one. Is that particular confession. That, yes, yeah. this particular mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Because, because uh, like you mentioned this morning, uh, which is if you read through that confession, and there are some other good confessions as well, they're just riddled with Scripture references. Mm-hmm. They, sure. they, are, they are summarizations of the teaching of Scripture. They're not mm-hmm. adding to it. Uh, Spurgeon said about that confession, he said, this little volume is not issued as an authoritative rule or code of faith whereby you are to be fettered, but as an assistance to you in controversy, a confirmation in faith, and a means of edification in righteousness. Yeah. And, you know, he, and he himself referenced the scriptural proof. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's a, there's a well-meaning uh, contingent of Christians who are, they want to be so true to scripture that they reject tradition, mm. uh, all tradition, sure. um, rather than what they need to do is make sure that, that tradition is, is vetted and, sure. and, and grounded in scripture. Yeah, yeah, so I guess you both kind of hinted, at, or not hinted, but stated the fact that insofar as they align with scripture, they're useful. Yeah. And in this case, obviously, Jesus points out to them that, that their tradition is contrary to scripture. And that's probably the, the major who crux said of this? Who said this? The right tradition is the living faith of dead men, and the improper tradition is the dead faith of living men. Hmm. I don't know who said that, but I don't either. Good. But I heard it. <laughs> Maybe even read it. If I, did, if I didn't hear it or read it, I just invented it. All right. <laughs> okay, well, good. Yeah. By Kenny Rogers, everyone. Um, I'm okay. sticking to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, so this this uh, this goes on. You know, they they, they uh, confront Jesus. Jesus uh, retorts, and then and then at the end, I, I thought verse um, verse twelve, I think it is, was was interesting. Both times, I I guess all three times I read it, it, it almost made me chuckle. There, it says, "Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard that this statement?'" And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "No kidding." Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. They, uh, <laughs> But uh, it kind of bring, brought a question to my mind. So in, in both of these, uh, uh, the first two anyway, um, stories there, first they say, do you know that the Pharisees were offended? And the second one, Jesus says to the Canaanite woman, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. Both of these are not exactly mincing words. Um, so I guess the question is, is it a sin to offend someone? Are we called to avoid offense? I think we're, we're called to be to offend without being offensive. Sure. I, I think if we could learn anything from a recent politician, it might not help to be nice every now and then. Every now and then, sure. Yeah. I mean, you, you don't win people over just by being in their face and, and being insulting. Mm. I, I don't think that's what we're called to be. We're called to be sheep among wolves. We're called to be Mm-hmm. wise like foxes I mean all of these things mm-hmm. and I just think it's good to be winsome but at the same time you don't mince the truth mm. now Jesus could say things because if Jesus had a unique authority that Kenny doesn't have I, I'm the messenger for Jesus I'm, I'm not Jesus so I, I, I try not to be offensive but you know especially where we are right now I have a feeling that it's going to be harder and harder not to be offensive. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, Dan Darden in previous panels, he stood, some of his words, I don't remember exactly what he had said, but he said something to the effect of, we're called to, to love people, 
we're not necessarily called to avoid offending them. Right. And, and, and if you love people, you, you're going to tell them the truth. If you absolutely. love, especially if that truth means heaven or hell for them. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. If when eternity's on the line, then mm-hmm. sometimes the most loving thing is offensive. Patrick? I think if we look at what the result of both of these two examples, uh, we'll see that the situations are different. So if you look mm-hmm. at the first one, here you have uh, the Pharisees that are doing something that they're they're doing something wrong mm-hmm. and you know and they're trying they're projecting onto jesus basically saying trying to accuse him of doing something wrong um and he just confronts them very directly and calls them hypocrites and ex- and explains explicitly why mm-hmm. and the result of that is they get real mad mm-hmm. absolutely and there's an explanation given but i mean that that's they they were offended they didn't they weren't corrected in their view you know they didn't say come you know what you're right i'm gonna you know what i mean we don't Mm -hmm. we're not told besides the fact that they were offended uh when the second one uh you have uh, this has always been interesting to me and as you know growing up as a child i was like like why is jesus being so mean to this lady uh who clearly is just asking for help but if you see how that ends he she he finally turns to her and says you know oh woman great is thy faith and then, and then her request is granted. Mm-hmm. So you, in the first one, we see Jesus confronting open sin. Absolutely. In the second one, I think what we're seeing is a, a test of faith. And he is deliberately withholding his answer. I mean, so the first time he came, uh, she came up to him, uh, he just ignored her mm-hmm. and just answered her not a word and just kept on walking. Sure. And then, you know, and then he puts her off and puts her off, giving her the opportunity to show her faith. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think uh, so. And, and we yeah. see that, and we see that we have this whole, and because he did that, we have this whole fascinating pericope that lasts a whole bunch of verses, whereas if he had just granted her request, mm-hmm. we wouldn't, we wouldn't, what would we have gotten from it? Absolutely. And I was thinking about, like, coming out of 2020 and mm-hmm. entering into 2021, uh, how so many times it seems like we cry out to God, and nothing happens. Mm-hmm. And we don't understand why. And we think, couldn't God be glorified just if he just answered his prayer and he worked this miracle and he made this mm-hmm. happen? Everyone would glorify, everyone would see. But sometimes we don't see that he's giving a chance for our faith to be as what is, what is glorified. Sure, that's great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll talk about her a little bit more in a second. But what, uh, with regards to the... The first one, he, you know, Jesus says, every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Do you think he's referencing Matthew thirteen thirty-eight with the, the wheat and the tares? Is he, is he alluding to the fact that the Pharisees are sons of the evil one, as previously mentioned in chapter 13? I think he is. And I think, too, I think it goes back to Patrick's point. Their sin, the, the thing about their sin is this. They don't see their sin as sin. Mm-hmm. The, the Canaanite woman knows that she is undeserving. Mm-hmm. They think they're deserving. Mm-hmm. And God is literally uprooting them. Mm-hmm. They're offended. Their world is turning upside down. And, you know, the reason they crucify Jesus is to try to stop their world from turning upside down because they see him as destroying their world. Yeah. So I, I think that's the, the, the issue there. Anything to add to that? No, I think, no, I, I think the, just the type of language, there's a lot of um, 
plants and gardening language sure, throughout agrarian. throughout the whole New Testament. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean that that language is so parallel to uh, to that passage. I would definitely connect mm -hmm. those. Yeah. Well, what about the uh, in verse eighteen there? He says, "But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those and uh, those defile a man." So. Um, when, when I was, uh, you know, obviously sin comes from within is, is what he's saying here. Sure. Is this a comfort? In this day and age, you see so many people looking for comfort in, in what they eat or which shot they get or which shot they refuse to get. Or It almost seems to the point that we're thinking some sort of grace is uh, imbued upon us by the things that we do physically, whether it's eating or acting or works. Um, especially in, in, in this season of, of COVID and everything, is there what kind of reassurance do we get from this statement? That's an interesting question. I had not thought about that. Well, I should have given you the question ahead. No, no, I don't. I don't know the question ahead. I would have just thought about it. You know, I know in my own case. I mean, I'm taking vitamins and all kinds of things. Sure. Because I, the shot hasn't come available for my age group yet. And I know that a lot of people say that you know they're they're anti the vaccine, and and I, I don't know if it's if it's spiritual or physical that people are against these things, mm -hmm. but certainly I don't think that spiritually that you could make a case that's, that that whatever you're taking, whether it's vitamins or you know vaccines or whatever, if 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 it's a sin. Uh, that's just a good question. I know a lot of people see it in that in that framework, sure, and, and yeah. I, I don't, I don't know that I have an answer for that, Patrick. Maybe, maybe you do. Um, I have thoughts, and <laughs> I want to make sure they're shared appropriately. Um, I, I think that um, we're in the passage. Uh, passage is dealing specifically with um, ritual. Cleanliness. Sure, ritual and, cleansing and, of their hands. And, yeah. and so we're not talking about like literal necessarily. And I'm glad that you pointed that out right. uh, earlier because it's not like they were just complaining about the disciples' hygiene. Right. Uh, it, was, it was about a, a ritual cleansing. Um, I do think that people tend to, we don't want to take responsibility uh, mm -hmm. for, for our actions, for our own health and safety. Uh, and I think when somebody else hands down a proclamation from on high about what the right thing is, and, and this is what you need to do if you love your grandmother. Sure. Yeah. This is what, and if you don't do this thing that mm -hmm. we have said, yeah. and if you dare to question this thing, then you are not a good person. Sure. And I think um, there's a sense of, moral superiority for people who, who go on board with that. And then when they see somebody else that's questioning or, or doing something different, you know, they cannot let that stand because then it calls into question about whether or not they are actually doing the right thing. So they sure. get offended. Yeah, that that's, that's so got more of a political the, it, and, it and moralistic and secular it, it sense. It does. And, and you know something, he made me think of something that I thought of mm -hmm. earlier. There's a lot of virtue signaling in this, in this society. Absolutely. And people, people do things to, to virtue signal, like, uh, I, I'm good, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a good thing, I'm a good person. And it's, it's almost as if that is a social religion. Mm -hmm. Sure. And people think that this social religion is going to make them acceptable before whoever God Whatever is, is they're worried about. or rejected. And, and mm -hmm. God is becoming the government. Sure. And it's, and some, it's a yeah. very 
very strange day. And I mean, I, I say that because this, this, this way it's becoming. It's a religion. Yeah. There's certain, and absolutely agree it's with a religion. you. There, and, and I think that's where the unease comes. But the long and the short of it is nothing I eat or nothing I inject in myself can make me lose my standing before God. No, no. and that, that, that's exactly right. I mean, yes. I, I don't. I, I, I can appreciate people being thoughtful about what they eat, being thoughtful about what vaccines they take. Sure. And all the rest. I, I can appreciate that. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's a decision that you have to take personal responsibility for. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think that uh, I should judge people who do or do not. Agreed. Let's move on to the Canaanite woman and, and this uh, um, little story here. I guess my question is, as I read through this, um, I'm thinking, and you mentioned in the, at least in the first service, that, that as Peter was watching, he says to her, O woman, your faith is great. And, and obviously, in the, towards the end of the last chapter, he had said to Peter, you of little faith, why do you doubt? How much of this story and this interaction do you think it is for Peter and for his disciples as they see how he acts with, with this Gentile woman, especially in light of the fact that later on, Peter has some instances of being a, just a little bit of a Judaizer with some of the post-crucifixion uh, events? Well, again, remember the pericope served two purposes in this section. To demonstrate the growing opposition to Jesus mm-hmm. and to strengthen the disciples. This is definitely a pericope that is designed to strengthen the disciples. Mm-hmm. Not just in their faith, but in their understanding. I like what Jesus says to them uh, earlier on when they, when they kind of take him aside. And Jesus says to them in verse uh, 16, are you still lacking in understanding also? Mm-hmm. You still don't get it. Mm-hmm. And so this is, is for them in the next story, the, this story of the Canaanite woman, the experience that they have with the Canaanite woman and how Jesus responds to her, I think does demonstrate, again, grace. Jesus doesn't mm-hmm. give this woman one hurdle to jump through. Mm-hmm. Other than, like you said, more or less revealing her faith, mm-hmm. he doesn't give her any uh, hoops to jump through and no barriers to jump over. And yeah. I think that's important. It's interesting that, that the disciples came and implored him saying, send her away because she keeps shouting at us, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Patrick, or go ahead, Kenny. Well, just one thing. Some commentators think that he was, the, the disciples were saying, look, Jesus, just go ahead and heal the woman's daughter so she all shut mm. up. Okay. And that was not his purpose. Now, <laughs> it could have been that I fully, I fully believe what Patrick said is true, that Jesus is, is putting her off to demonstrate mm-hmm. this faith. Absolutely. And the disciples, though, they're always quick to, hey, let's just get rid of this problem. Mm-hmm. Maybe we're that way, too. Sure, yeah. Her faith certainly withstands a little longer than uh, Peter's walk on the water there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Patrick, anything to add to uh, No, but that reminded me of the question that you brought up uh, during the sermon, which was that if there was any kind of special meaning on uh, what was the wording that you have in, in verse 22? Oh, I know. Cruelly demon-possessed. She was cru- cruelly possessed. All right, cruelly. so I've got, I've got the King James here, and it uses the, the 
the term uh, grievously vexed. And I was grievously talking about vexed. it with I was talking about it with my wife and she thought about it for a second. She's like, well, I feel grievously vexed with my children sometimes when they don't <laughs> obey. Uh, <laughs> she said, that's a good term. I'm going to start using that grievously vexed. Um, I, I looked at it a little bit. Um, it's so the word that's that's sometimes translated as possession. Uh, we, we think in terms of like uh, of someone being demon possessed as like the demon is like taking over their body and yeah, is controlling and their actions less, like yeah. right then they're just like a shell um but and part of that is part of that is based on mythology and, and a tradition a literary tradition of its own um but the word literally translated is just uh demonized uh and it just refers to any kind of demonic oppression or or spiritual warfare kind of you know just th this spiritual force will not let this person alone and that can take uh multiple forms and um there's a verse uh where is it uh like in chapter four uh verses 24 and 25 there's somebody somebody else where it says that so this this person many people were brought to him that were demonized mm -hmm. uh and this uh in this verse just literally like those verses just means badly demonized so it's just like underscoring like this is this is a particularly intense uh oppression this woman has been targeted uh and don't you find it interesting too don't you find it interesting that this pagan woman understood that her daughter was being demonized mm. I mean, not demonized. Sure. She's a demonic. I mean, sure. It's two ways of being demonized. The the demon can have influence over you, mm -hmm. or somebody can be speaking badly of you. Mm -hmm. So, in, in yeah. her case, it is the, sure. the demon is oppressing her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, well, that's really good. I, I think too. I think in this context, um, wish I'd brought that out this morning. That's well, that's a good thing. I think <laughs> in this context, it was everyone believed in. In some kind of spiritual force. Oh sure. Mm -hmm. you know, I, think, we, I think most people still do. We're surrounded by yeah. we're, we're surrounded by people who deny the existence of spiritual forces all over the place. Mm. Um, but I have a friend who uh, is a missionary in Zambia, and he's been living there for whew, about a good eight years now. And I mean, when he first went there, he was just so completely out of place, and he just literally like just dropped in and got involved and just started making a life for himself there and he he uh now he's married and and they're expecting a child and everything but i have heard some of him some of his stories about the things that go on in that context hmm. and it's it's stuff you would not believe because we're so used to being in this context and satan definitely adapts how he acts uh and how he influences in different different contexts but i remember he told me one story about um, there was a whole mess of people. It was like a, it was almost like a riot, and they were all heading in one direction. He was trying to figure out what was going on, and he said there was a man at the bank that turned into a snake, and he didn't see this happen or anything like that. And he never confirmed whether or not it happened. But what really struck him was that this whole crowd of people believed that a man turned into a snake, and they had to go catch him and kill him, hmm. like. They, and they had no problem just accepting that as reality. Anyway, uh, yeah, she was she was grievously vexed. Okay, perfect. <laughs> 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 
Just real quickly now, we're getting a little short on time, but I don't want to skip another opportunity to talk about the, the, the healing with, uh, with the crowd there, because last, last week we didn't fully get to it. But why is the response in this one so much different? Jesus just, uh, he just starts healing everybody in, in this last little uh, pericope. Obviously, we've already got one assertion on that. Is it the difference that he was just using the previous demonstration to demonstrate her faith, but kind of made her squirm for the healing and then this whole crowd just kind of uh you know, they, they get on the fast plan yeah, exactly yeah <laughs> I, I think that obviously you know if i could connect this to something it would almost be like nineveh mm-hmm. jo- jonah says repent 40 days repent that's the sermon because mm-hmm. he didn't want him to repent Obviously, God did want them to repent. They did repent. God spared them. Yeah. I think, I think a Nineveh experience has happened to these people mm. in the sense that God has prepared them for this. Sure. And, and they go out, and, and they, they sense this, and they give glory to the God of Israel. Mm-hmm. Which is that's so salvific? Uh, or is it just a kind well, of that's a... The, that's the Nineveh question, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think it's both. Okay. I think, I, and I said this at the end of the second service. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think and I actually said in the prayer that later on when the, when the disciples did go back as the apostles mm-hmm. after the resurrection, I would think many of these people were, were become Christians. Mm-hmm. That's what I would think. Sure. Um, I read a, a note on that verse that was uh, saying that it, it's not strong enough language to exclude uh, Gentiles being among the crowd and everything, but specifically saying about how they glorified the God of Israel. Yes. Mm. If you look at different examples of how that phrase is used, mm-hmm. uh, it's usually tied to um, Israel's praising of, of God. Oh, okay, so Israelites talking about the God yeah. of Israel. Um, but, but again, like to answer your question, um, similarly to how I answered the other one, which is if you look at the result of the mm-hmm. two different examples, you see the purpose because God's purpose and Jesus purpose is never thwarted. So, sure. you know, you see a, uh, a testing of faith here, mm-hmm. um, by this response. And then the result of his healing of a mm-hmm. whole bunch of people here is that in so much as the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to be whole and the lame to walk and the blind to see, they glorified the God of Israel. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in Perfect. this, you have a test of faith and then you have a, a more widespread example, uh, a clear example of his power. Mm-hmm. And it's attributed to his glory. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, um, as we wrap up, is there anything that stood out to you for the first time that you, you want to discuss a little or just uh, you may have learned or stood out to you in a different way? Kenny, as you're preparing this first, and then uh, we'll go to Patrick. Just uh, the impact upon the Gentiles mm. that Jesus himself had, because mm-hmm. a lot of times people don't talk about that very much. Sure. But... Uh, in all the commentaries I read, that was the one thing that was really emphasized. Mm-hmm. Patrick? Um, I think, you know, I, I kind of already touched on it a little bit, um, talking about the Canaanite woman, um, but just her willingness to, in humility, accept her place and and the truth of it. We, we have a tendency to self-aggrandize sure. and, and to, to make ourselves seem more mm-hmm. important where we are and what we deserve and that kind of yeah. thing. And she understood him to be the messiah so anything he said was going to be the truth yeah yeah it really tied in well with the old testament 
scripture reading you had for the deacon of the week today and the, yes. and the clay telling sure. the potter <laughs> mm-hmm. what to do with itself. And, yep. and really, you know, when I was thinking on that, on that same section there, just kind of how many times do, and really it's usually an unbeliever that brings up the question of evil and, and how can a good God allow evil in the, in the, in, in the world? And really the, it resonates with these Pharisees. It's like, okay, well, why don't we define evil first? And, and if you don't believe in God, how can you have the moral independence required to even define evil? These Pharisees have obviously defined evil for themselves, but with a complete uh, disregard for an understanding of, of God. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what stood out to me in that same exchange with the Canaanite woman. Well, Kenny, what are we going to finish up uh, chapter 15 next week? or No, uh, since I included the feeding of the 4,000 oh, right. in the message last week, I'm going to go on to chapter 16 where once again Jesus will be discussing the, the Pharisees and then we'll have the great confession of Peter's faith. Okay. I, think, I think next week we're covering two pericopes. There's, I think there's seven left and we're going to do uh, one, one message will have three and two messages will have two. Hmm. That's how it's going to finish up for chapter 17. Well, thanks. Would you like to close us in a word of prayer? Father, I thank you tonight for uh, these men who have come and who have studied and for the in-depth way that we've looked at this passage. I pray that the hearers and the listeners and the watchers uh, will be blessed by it, will be challenged to dig deeper into your word and not just this passage, but in all the passages and in all the concepts that we've talked about tonight. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.